0: Oh, thank you so much. yeah. <laughs> You're all tired, huh? I think this week we, we came with so many lectures. Last week we were easy on you, but this week no. <laughs> you, you, we don't want you to forget what med school is like, right? <laughs> okay, now, now what we're doing today is more like a review of what you have already done. You may learn a few new things. We hope you learn a few new things but it's most we're we're looking at three inherited disorders or three kinds of inherited disorders mutations of three different genes and and then what we would like you all to do is so that's the objectives for the lecture so we are basically looking at cystic fibrosis we have seen it many times we just are trying to put it all together sickle cell anemia have you seen about it a little Not much, yeah? And then we are going to move on to mutations of dystrophin, Duchenne versus Becker. We have seen a little about it in um, Patterns of Inheritance. We are going to look at a little more about the two disorders. Now when you are reviewing this lecture, pay attention to which is the most common or the most frequent mutation in each of these disorders. As a result of the mutation, what is the change in the protein function? and of course the biochemical basis for manifestations, clinical manifestations or symptoms. Finally, molecular diagnostic tests and what is their basis, yeah? biochemical or genetic basis. So these are the things that you want to hit on for each of the disorders. Okay? So it's more like a review, so you can sit back, relax and enjoy. Yeah? <laughs> now cystic fibrosis is, is one of the more commoner autosomal recessive, but no talking, okay? Otherwise, we can't be, both of us be talking, so you have to be silent and relax, okay? So this is an autosomal recessive disorder, one of the more frequent due to mutations of the CFTR protein, which acts as a chloride channel. You know all of this. It belongs to the group of ATP binding cassette, or ABC transporter. Now, if you Look at the structure of the CFTR protein. It has two transmembrane domains, a regulatory domain which can be phosphorylated and that's how it, it results in regulated chloride ion conduction. There are two nucleotide binding domains and this site is the region for the most frequent deletion that is deletion of an amino acid. Yeah. Now that's the most frequent or the most common mutation, most frequent mutation in the population. Almost 70% of your patients will have, with cystic fibrosis, will have this mutation: deletion of a single amino acid in one of the nucleotide binding domains. Deletion of phenylalanine at position 508. Now, if you think about the CFTR protein, it it is activated. You can hear it? Yeah. You need a little more volume. If you're really quiet, you can hear it. So that's Dr. Dasso. So alpha, that's Dr. Daso's slide, yeah? Activation of adenylate cyclase, cyclic AMP, protein kinase A, <laughs> phosphorylation, opening of the channel, and chloride. Yeah? So that's how... The, the CFTR protein is regulated, and that is regulated ion, uh, chloride ion movement. Okay? Now, remember, in all, all, almost all cells, chloride is put out of the cell except in the sweat glands. In the sweat glands, it's of the reverse orientation, and it's involved in the reabsorption of chloride from the sweat. Okay? In all other cells, it's involved in the secretion of chloride, but in the sweat cells it's the opposite. Now if you think about what are the presenting features of children with cystic fibrosis, there are two important organs that you look at. One is the respiratory system, repeated episodes of infection, respiratory infections, and there is typically malabsorption syndrome, false smelling, bulky stools, and that's because the pancreas is involved. Besides that, most children have a decline in growth or there is no growth that is enough for the, or that is, um, if you look at normal children versus children with cystic fibrosis, you find that there is a delay in the growth spot. Also you find evidence of chronic malnutrition. You can look at the serum albumin and other serum proteins. Okay. So m- main tissues that are involved or organs involved are the lung, so recurrent respiratory infection. In very young children, with malabsorption, malabsorption is because of the pancreas, chronic pancreatitis, and the, the diagnostic test to identify cystic fibrosis is not the genetic test, but is more like a functional test. You're looking at increase in the sweat chloride, and that's the diagnostic test for cystic fibrosis, yeah? so increased sweat chloride. Now, why is there increased incidence of respiratory infections in children with cystic fibrosis? Now, in the normal airway lumen, there is mucus, and chloride is secreted by the CFTR, which allows sodium movement and which pulls water along with it. In other words, the mucus is kept hydrated. What happens in patients with cystic fibrosis is the CFTR protein is not functional, and as a result, chloride does not, is not present in the mucus, there is less of water and sodium. In other words, the mucus is dehydrated. And this is a good nidus, a good, spa- a good place for bacterial proliferation. And therefore, the, the, mu- the mucus becomes very thick and viscid and resulting in bacterial po- proliferations. Now respiratory infections are the most common cause of deaths in the children or even morbidity in children with cystic fibrosis one of the more frequent manifestations. The other major organ involved, and, and this is actually responsible for the, for the name, how did the name cystic fibrosis come about, is because of the appearance, the gross appearance of the pancreas in children with cystic fibrosis. Again, the mechanism of the pancreatitis or the pancreatic damage is again because of the thick visceral secretions within the pancreatic ducts. Now, as a result of the viscid secretions, what happens is there is obstruction to the pancreatic ducts, the tiny as well as the big, and there is extensive destruction of the pancreatic tissue. As a result, pancreatic enzymes, there is a deficiency of the pancreatic enzymes that enter into the intestine and which later result in malabsorption. If you look at the pancreas in patients with cystic fibrosis, especially which has been present for some time, typically there is a cystic appearance of the pancreas that means it it appears that there is destruction of the pancreatic tissue and there is fibrous, fibrosis, or there is fibrous tissue formation and that just tells you that there is chronic pancreatic damage because of the viscid secretions which are blocking the pancreas. Now in children with malabsorption and maldigestion and with fat in the stools, f- you want to give them <clears throat> enzymes which are required for lipid and protein digestion to facilitate the absorption of the nutrients from the diet. Yeah. So you can substitute the pancreatic enzymes to make sure there is adequate digestion and absorption of the nutrients. So you'll be looking at this more in term two. So for now... Just know that malabsorption is one of the frequent accompaniment of cystic fibrosis. Now in some children, um, at birth, what happens is there is intestinal obstruction in some of the children. Again, the explanation is the viscid secretions in the intestine. And there is no passage of meconium and that is because of obstruction of the intestine. And that is seen in some children. It is usually evident at birth. Now, it's in about almost all the males with cystic fibrosis. Again, because of the same phenomenon, there is viscid secretions. There is what, what happens is the vast difference is blocked and there is sterility. Most males with cystic fibrosis are infertile. And that's, again, the, the explanation is still the same because the secretions are viscid and they're blocking the ducts. You've heard about the salty forehead, and we'll explain why is the sweat salty, or why is there more chloride in the sweat. Now, remember, <clears throat> in the sweat gland, the CF the orientation of the CFTR is in the opposite direction, and as a result, there is reabsorption of chloride from the sweat. And if you have a normal functioning CFTR protein in In the sweat glands, what happens is your sweat chloride levels will be low. In children with cystic fibrosis, what happens is this chloride is not reabsorbed back into the sweat glands. And as a result, they have this typical finding. This is the gold standard test for cystic fibrosis. Presence of high sweat or elevated sweat chloride levels. So that is the best diagnostic test for cystic fibrosis. Okay, So that's your gold standard test for cystic fibrosis. Never forget that. Yeah? Now if you think about the mutation, it, the, this gene, the CFTR gene, is on the long arm of chromosome 7. Most frequent mutation is a three-base pair deletion, deletion of three bases. As a result, on translation, what happens is there is elimination of one amino acid or deletion of a single amino acid And this three base pairs code for phenylalanine. Now this amino acid is said to be a critical amino acid. Just loss of one amino acid in that whole protein is resulting in loss of function of the entire CFTR gene or, or the CFTR protein. Now as a result of absence or deletion of this single amino acid, what happens is the CFTR protein that is synthesized in the endoplasmic reticulum is no longer able to be present, it's no longer sent to the cell membrane. So this phenyl absence of phenylalanine does not allow the CFTR protein or the mutant CFTR protein to reach the cell membrane. In other words, this is one of the most severe mutations that is associated. So the most frequent mutation is actually the more, most severe mutation of cystic fibrosis. So CFTR protein is actually synthesized in these children, but it's not allowed, it's not sent to the cell membrane. And as a result, there is severe deficiency of CFTR on the cell membrane. And in other words, there is a severe phenotype. So this is the most frequent and the most severe of the CFTR mutations. Now remember that CFTR is a disorder which is characterized by different mutations at different regions of the CFTR protein or the CFTR gene. In other words, what am I trying to explain here? All of these mutations on the same gene. That is allelic heterogeneity. So some children with cystic fibrosis, you may find that they have two different kinds of mutations of the same gene, that is CFTR gene, and then we are trying to explain that the child is a compound heterozygote. Okay? And this is your most common, this is your most common deletion or the most common mutation of the CFTR gene. The diagnosis of cystic fibrosis is you collect the sweat and measure the chloride levels. If you find elevated sweat chloride levels, that is diagnostic of cystic fibrosis. Yeah? Genetic test is not used as the gold standard test for cystic fibrosis. Why is that? because of the occurrence of so many different kinds of mutations yeah? so because of the heterogeneity or the allelic heterogeneity it is this phenotype test or, an, or a functional test where you look at the levels of chloride in the sweat and you identify that the child has cystic fibrosis now once you have identified that the child has cystic fibrosis then you want to do other tests to actually identify the mutation so that you can provide counseling to the family. So different kinds of tests have been used. The ASO test, if the mutation is known. The ASO test is available for the most common, 25 most common mutations that are occurring in populations. So that is for the ASO. allele specific PCR is a similar test. Again, both of these tests can be used if the mutation is known or it's one of the, the 25, if it falls under that group, the 25 more common mutations. And you know the difference between heterozygote versus homozygote, yeah? So affected children are homozygotes, and sometimes because of allelic heterogeneity, you may find compound heterozygotes, okay? I've taken a very simple example here, but I know you, you have learned much more complicated than this. This is a child with cystic fibrosis, and is homozygous for the most frequent mutation. Yeah? Now remember you cannot use fish because these are very tiny mutations, Yeah, it's, it's just involving a few base pairs, so you can't use fish. And I think you are able to identify heterozygote versus homozygous normal and homozygous affected. Okay? And that is your three base pair deletion, which translates to one amino acid being deleted in the CFTR protein and what is the effect of that mutation is that CFTR protein with this amino acid deletion can no longer be sent to the cell membrane yeah? so that is, the, that is the, the effect of that mutation. So try to answer this question <clears throat> I think last week you had a case on cystic fibrosis. Was in in the small group, yeah. Okay. Are we done? So, <clears throat> so how m- how many? You want? Okay, let's. Oh, oh. what is this easy question? Ah, huh? okay, <laughs> no explanation needed. Yeah. Now, next we move on to sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia is the next disorder in line. Now, sickle cell anemia. So, this is a patient with sickle cell anemia will sickle. Yeah. Hmm. 17-year-old male, he comes to the ER with severe pain in the lower back and abdomen. He has been identified past history of sickle cell disease when he was very young. The hemoglobin level, there is a fall in the hemoglobin level at this visit, and there is an increased serum bilirubin. In other words, there is jaundice. Now this is a typical history in a patient with a sickle cell crisis, and we'll try to explain what is the change in the protein and what is what happens in sickle cell anemia. Now if you think about the change in sickle cell anemia so that the beta globin is the gene beta globin gene is mutant in other words there is a change in the base sequence it's basically one amino acid change and A is changed to a T <clears throat> so it's a single amino acid change in other words a classical example of a point mutation, a point mutation, and it's all patients with sickle, with sickle cell anemia have this same change that is that single base change okay as a result of this base change, what happens is glutamic acid, which is a negatively charged amino acid, is now replaced by valine. What kind of amino acid is that hydrophobic okay or branch chain so glutamic acid is replaced by valine, which is hydrophobic, or a branched-chain amino acid. As a result, what happens to the charge on hemoglobin is the normal hemoglobin is negatively charged or more negatively charged, whereas sickle cell hemoglobin is less negatively charged. So there is loss of negative charges because of this amino acid change. Okay? A classical example of a missense mutation. So instead of glutamic acid, it's now replaced by valine. Now if you try to look at where is the mutation present, the mutation is on the outer surface. It's on the exterior of the hemoglobin molecule. And this is the region of the mutation. As a result of the change from glutamic acid, glutamic acid was negatively charged, it was water-soluble, it's replaced by a hydrophobic amino acid, and as a result, what happens is a hydrophobic sticky patch is created. So this becomes a hydrophobic sticky patch because of the replacement of the amino acid. Okay? And we'll try to explain what is the result or what is the effect of this sticky patch. So that is your <clears throat> so that is your valine. And that has created a sticky patch. What happens in the deoxy state so normal if you look at normal hemoglobin, there is a change in the conformation of the normal hemoglobin in the de- deoxy state. Now, in sickle cell anaemia, what happens is because of this sticky patch it, it looks like a complementary site is created, so the sticky patch can easily get into that that region okay so so note that this occurs more frequently in the deoxy state and the deoxy state more frequently is present in your tiny capillaries or in the end organs so there is a complementary region A, a sticky patch has a complementary region where it can fit into so what happens now is so this is your valine and this is the deoxyhemoglobin so what happens is they stick to each other, just like Lego blocks, you know. Yeah, and, and as a result, what happens is hemoglobin is no longer soluble. It tends to polymerize and form long filament-like structures. It's no longer soluble. It forms this long filament-like structures, which can be seen, and they finally distort the shape of the RBC, resulting in the sickling of the RBC. So note that it's a single amino acid. Again, this is a critical amino acid to maintain the solubility of the protein. Sometimes we, we call this single amino acid change as gain of a novel property or gain of a new function. Okay? So it's sometimes called as gain of function or a property. Now typically the sickling occurs in the deoxy state and it tends to block the tiny capillaries. Okay. Now such sickled RBCs, the, the spleen makes sure that it removes it from the circulation. So the spleen is normally overworking in patients with sickle cell anemia. And most patients with sickle cell anemia typically have splenomegaly. That's because the distorted RBCs, it's the job of the spleen to remove the distorted RBCs from the circulation. So the spleen is basically overworking to try to remove the sickled RBCs from the circulation. More about jaundice you will be learning in the next term, but for now just note that this is because of excessive removal of RBCs from the circulation and RBCs from heme, which later is is converted to bilirubin or is res- resulting in the ye- yellowish discoloration of the skin and the mucous membranes. That's the eyes. Okay. More about jaundice, we'll be studying later. Okay. <clears throat> now one of the tests used to identify either sickle cell anemia or a carrier that is called as the sickle cell trait is you can look for, you can do electrophoresis of hemoglobin. You can do electrophoresis of hemoglobin. Now remember, HbA has glutamic acid or glutamate. That means it has more negative charges when compared to HbS, which now has valine, which has less number of negative charges. So what is done in this example is you apply the sample here. Note that HbS runs less than HbA. So that is HbA, whereas HbS runs less. It it has a slower mobility towards the positively charged electrode so this patient what do you call him or her? homozygous normal HbA only what about this one only HbS so it's homozygous sickle cell anemia or that's your patient what about the this one 50% HbS 50% hba so this person is a carrier or sickle cell trait this one is a carrier too okay so hemoglobin electrophoresis can be used to differentiate between a normal versus homozygous affected and a carrier state okay now this is the same picture but just turned around so you should be able to recognize that hba moves faster than hbs and this is the point of application or the origin hbs moves slower than hba and that's your normal and homozygous or sickle cell anemia and a trait okay Now, besides that, since it's the same point mutation that occurs in all patients with sickle cell anemia, you could also do the ASO test, Yes, where, again, you can differentiate between homozygous, normal versus homozygous affected, or a carrier. The other test that you can use, the single base change could result in either a new site being created or a new restriction site being created or a restriction site being lost. In other words, what I'm trying to explain is you could apply restriction fragment length polymorphism analysis. As a result of the single base change, so in this example, a restriction site has been lost. So as a result, when you try to digest it with this restriction enzyme, you get a longer fragment with the mutant globin gene, whereas with the normal globin gene, we get shorter fragments, okay, and that is explained here. So, this is you apply the sample here, the shorter it is, the more it moves on the gel. So, that is Hb or beta globin A. So, this is a carrier who has both beta globin A and beta globin S, and this is homozygous for sickle cell anemia, okay. So you have a longer fragment because there is loss of a restriction site because of this point mutation. So the restriction enzyme no longer cuts the gene at this site. Okay? You have studied this before, I just want you all to go back and review it again. Okay? <clears throat> now the next group of disorders that we shall be looking at is mutations of the same gene, dystrophin gene. Duchenne muscular dystrophy versus Becker muscular dystrophy. At the end of this lecture, you should be able to tell me what are the similarities and what are the differences between Duchenne versus Becker muscular dystrophy. You know a few of them, we are going to add a few more today. Okay? Now both these disorders is because of mutations of the same gene, the dystrophin gene. Both of these are transmitted as X-linked Disorders or X-linked recessive disorders. That's because the dystrophin gene is on the X chromosome. Okay? This is super important. Put a star here. So how, how do you differentiate Duchenne versus Becker? Now Duchenne muscular dystrophy is the more severe version. There is no, there is no transli- uh, transcription or no translation. In other words, complete absence of functional dystrophin. There is no production of any functional dystrophin. Therefore, patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, they tend to present at a much earlier age than patients with Duchenne, uh, Becker muscular dystrophy. Okay? In Becker muscular dystrophy, there is production of less of dystrophin, or it can be a truncated, a smaller than normal, or a truncated dystrophin, which is still somewhat functional. There is still some re- retainment of function. And that's why Becker muscular dystrophy is considered as the less severe form and patients typically present at a later age. Okay? So that's an important difference between Duchenne versus Becker. Duchenne muscular dystrophy, again we, we talked about mutation of the same gene, dystrophin. X-linked recessive disorder, that means more frequent in males. Typical age of onset is quite early two to six years of age. Now, we explained that it was more severe because it was complete absence of dystrophin. Remember, you you know the meaning of this? They have low reproductive fitness. What does that mean? That means they are not able to transmit it on to the next generation. In other words, it it stops there. There is no transmission of the mutation to the next generation. They Typically, they are unable to have children. Okay? and pass it on pass the mutation on to the next generation Becker muscular dystrophy on the other hand we explained it was milder form the symptoms are similar but the age of onset is typically after 20 or 30 so typically the patients tend to present in the 20s or 30s in other words less severe and that's because there is some expression of dystrophin or there is a there is still some dystrophin present, only it is not completely functional. Okay. We see that means with decamuscular dystrophy have about normal reproductive fitness. That means the mutation can be passed on to the next generation. Yeah, they typically can have normal fertility or fitness. Now again, this is an important difference, okay? So there is a difference at the mutation level between Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy versus Becker Muscular Dystrophy. If you look at the mutation, both are typically deletions. So both are usually deletions. But in Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, the deletion results in frame shift. So typically these deletions are called as frame shift deletions. That means because of the deletion, the protein that is translated is no longer sensible. In other words, it is no longer in frame. So after the mutation, if you look at the amino acid sequence, it's completely some, some nonsense sequence. Yeah? So what, what's happening is, that is, because of the shift in the reading frame of the protein, the amino acid sequence after the mutation is just not readable. In other words, it's not functional. As a result, even if there is some translation of this dystrophin protein it is not recognized as normal and it's going to be degraded immediately. As a result if you look at the muscle cell in patient with Duchenne muscular dystrophy you find no dystrophin protein that's because even though there is translation it is immediately degraded because it makes no sense. The amino acid sequence is completely lost after the the deletion. Now compared to Becker muscular dystrophy we say that Becca muscular dystrophy, again, the most frequent kind of mutations are still deletions, but these deletions are in frame. That means a region of the protein is missing, but still it makes sense. That means it's smaller than normal, it may be a truncated protein, but still it, it, that means it has retained some of its function. If you, if, you try to look at, um, if you try to look at the muscle cell in patients with Becca muscular dystrophy, you will see some protein staining. So if you stain it for the dystrophin protein, you will find some protein staining. And if you analyze the structure of the protein, it, there is still some structure that is retained, but it's somewhat shorter than normal. Okay. Now sometimes Becker muscular dystrophy could be due to mutations in the promoter. That means as a result of mutation in the promoter, what happens is less of the dystrophin protein is transcribed and then translated. So there is less mRNA produced because it's a less active promoter than normal. So in these patients you will find the normal dystrophin, but there is less of the dystrophin that is produced. Okay, So two kinds of mutations could be present in Becker muscular dystrophy. It could be a deletion, but remember it's always in frame, or it could be less amounts of the normal dystrophin, because of mutation of the promoter okay? but again remember no protein in Duchenne muscular dystrophy whereas some protein or abnormal protein in Becker muscular dystrophy <clears throat> now these are different patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy now if you look at the dystrophin gene it's one of the largest genes that are present in humans something like 79 or 80 exons and if you so that's that's it's so big now and these are the different regions that have been identified that's a normal person and these are the different exon regions that have been identified patient 1 has a deletion of e and f so so many exons have been clipped off patient 2 has a deletion of f and h that means this region has been deleted in the dystrophin gene. Patient 3 has a deletion of D, segment D, and that region. So that means so many exons in this region have been deleted. Remember, these are patients, all of them are patients with uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and they are coming from different families. So what I'm trying to explain here is allelic heterogeneity. So all of them are deletions, all of them are frame but they are dif- deletions of different regions of the gene. What are the clinical features of Duchenne muscular dystrophy? Remember in Becker muscular dystrophy, it's not as severe, but the, the muscles that are affected are almost similar. Now, most of the time, it is the main muscles that are involved in maintaining posture and balance that are affected in the muscular dystrophies, especially Duchenne muscular dystrophy, so children are unable to get up from the sitting position or unable to climb stairs. So that is typically the first manifestation of Duchenne muscular dystrophy. In most patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, you find this finding, unusual finding. If if you look at the calf muscles, you find that there is the calf muscles have, you know, they appear like they are bigger than normal. In other words, this is It looks like there is hypertrophy of the calf muscle. But we call it pseudo-hypertrophy. Pseudo. Pseudo is false. So it's a false hypertrophy of the calf muscles. So if you do a muscle biopsy, what you see is it's not muscle that has hypertrophy, but basically what's happened is the muscle is destroyed, replaced by fibrous tissue and adipose tissue. And that's why we call it pseudo-hypertrophy. So basically, it's replaced by fibrous tissue and adipose tissue. Okay. A typical finding in most of the muscular dystrophies, and you will find it in Duchenne muscular dystrophy is: if you seat the child, ask them to get up from the sitting position. They initially they get up with they they use their hands for balance. Then they lift up the posterior, and then they try to climb up on the legs. So this is like a typical finding and it's, it's called as the Gower's Maneuver I've hyperlinked it to a YouTube video, you can go back and and look at it when you have the time okay? and that's quite a typical finding in most of the muscular dystrophies which affect balance Okay. <clears throat> so let's see what's the normal function of the dystrophin protein so if you look at the dystrophin gene it occupies a huge portion of the X chromosome. In other words, it's a very big gene. 79 exons and 8 promoters. Okay, so it's huge. Now what is interesting to note is, many of these regions on the dystrophin gene, there are regions called as hotspots for mutation. And as a result, dystrophin gene mutations, de novo mutations, are quite common for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And that's because of the hotspots for these. Um, mutations present on the gene. If you look at the different tissues that it's expressed in all tissues, skeletal muscle, smooth, and cardiac. And the cardiac muscle manifestations could result in, in final mortality of patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Yeah, so, its function is important in all the muscles. <clears throat> now, if you look at the dystrophin protein, it has a region where it binds to the cytoskeleton or binds to actin and it has a C-terminal domain which binds to proteins on the cell membrane and these proteins on the cell membrane in turn link it to the basal lamina. Okay? So it's, it's, it's basically linking the cytoskeleton or actin of the muscle cell to the extracellular matrix. Okay? So that's the job of dystrophin. It serves as an anchor between the cytoskeleton and the basal lamina, and this anchor serves to stabilize the cell or the muscle cell and helps it to withstand the stress of muscle contraction. So it's it's like you know it's 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 this important anchor between the uh, actin as well as the basal lamina, okay, or the outside of the cell. Now when there is loss of dystrophin, what happens is the cell is damaged and, and finally will be replaced by adipose tissue and connective tissue. Okay? So that's your dystrophin protein. The N-terminal region is linked to actin, which is the cytoskeleton, whereas the C-terminal region is linked to the membrane, uh, the membrane proteins, which in turn is linked to the basal lamina, or laminin. So it's acting as a link between actin or the cytoskeleton and the basal lamina. Okay, So that's that's its important job. Absence of dystrophin, what happens is the cell will collapse. The muscle cell is going to collapse. It can't withstand the stress of contraction. Now if you look at the staining of the cell you find that dystrophin, if you, if you do a staining, it lines each muscle cell and that is what we are going to look at in the next so it li- it, it's completely present along the cell membrane of the muscle okay, on the inner side of the cell membrane now this slide is again an important slide which, is, which differentiates between Duchenne muscular dystrophy <clears throat> versus Becker muscular dystrophy now, in, in both these patients, note that muscle tissue is replaced by connective tissue or adipose tissue or fibrous tissue, Okay, and there is increased death of cells. Now, this, this part of the pictures is very important. If you do the Western blot, now in Western blot, what you're trying to detect is a specific protein, and you use antibodies to actually detect that specific protein now in a control or a normal person this is your dystrophin protein in becker muscular dystrophy note that there is higher mobility of the protein in other words the protein is truncated in this patient it is moving a little faster than the normal dystrophin so it means it's become smaller okay so this is a truncated sometimes you may find it moving to the same level, that means the structure is still, um, still normal, but you have less staining. So it's, it's a very mild or a light staining. Okay? So it can, it can be either of them. What happens in a patient with Duchenne? Note that there is complete absence of dystrophin. No dystrophin protein. Okay? And we explained Becker has in-frame deletion versus Duchenne has a frame shift deletion, and as a result, no translation or no functional protein is finally present. A super important difference between the two. Okay. Now, if you, if you do immuno, immunostaining using dystrophin antibodies, this is how a normal muscle and normal dystrophin staining looks like so every muscle stain is basically lined by dystrophin okay so that's how a normal muscle cell is stained by dystrophin now this is a patient with becker muscular dystrophy note there is reduced staining okay when compared to normal and complete absence of staining in duchenne muscular dystrophy almost no staining in duchenne now if you compare the histology, so that's your normal muscle cell. Note increased connective tissue and adipose tissue in Becker. And, <clears throat> and in Duchenne, there is much much more connective tissue and adipose tissue. Okay. Now other biochemical tests that you can do is, you remember the enzymes? CKMM. Any any muscular dystrophy, you find increased levels of CKMM. That just tells you that there is some muscle damage. Females, remember moms of affected children are typically carriers, and they have higher than normal levels of CKMM. Some females may have manifestation, and we have explained it before. So if you don't remember what, what this word tells you, yeah, maybe it's a good time to go back and read it, yeah. So asymmetric X inactivation can result in some manifesting heterozygote. You remember that? Yes? That means that the mutant X is active in most of our cells. Yeah? And that's because of X inactivation or asymmetric X inactivation. Okay. So you, you can go back and prepare a table. To differentiate between Duchenne versus Becker muscular dystrophy, okay. <clears throat> you need more time so have a nice weekend okay you want to know the end and I think you have okay that's that's okay thank you have a nice weekend and there is there are two more lectures okay don't run away home yeah okay see you all on Monday